I think we keep the intro music, though. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. The, the intro music Good. stays until we get a cease and desist. Excellent. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and even then, I'll probably keep it for another episode or two, claiming I never got it. But then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away. Crush on Ray. So I saw Victor Wooten last night. Oh, cool. Which was amazing. Are you guys familiar? Uh, now he's a bass player. Yes. <laughs> Greatest <laughs> bass player currently alive. So this was a uh, this was a show at Toad's Place, which is a, a rock club, which I guess has been around since like the 70s. And uh, he played with a totally new band. He had four bass players, two drummers, and a vocalist, a female vocalist. And... Uh, it was probably one of the most amazing displays of musicianship I've ever seen. I've seen Victor live a number of times. But this show just had, because they had such a big lineup, they had uh, on pretty much every song, every musician would be changing instruments. So Victor went from playing cello to guitar to bass uh, to keyboards to all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, it was just a really great show. And uh, he, during one portion of the show... He and J.D. Blair, uh, the drummer, one of the drummers, uh, did a bass and drum duet like they used to do uh, back in the 90s. And uh, during this section of the show, uh, which was the best part in my opinion, but Victor broke a string about halfway through and proceeded to play the entire rest of the drum and bass set using only three strings like a consummate professional, which was just totally inspiring to me. Uh, so, but it was very good. People should check him out. He'll be in the show notes. I guess we should pr- probably introduce ourselves. I think we haven't done that quite yet. So, I'm oh. Andrew, and I just talked about Victor Wooten for five minutes. <laughs> I'm Rich, and I'm Matt, and I, I didn't talk about Victor Wooten at all. <laughs> I knew he was a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> I knew his name. Sounds like a cool show. Yeah, uh, if I if I ever find out he's playing in Philly, I'll have to check him out. Yeah, absolutely. He's on tour now, and uh, I think this is the beginning of his tour. He just started at the end, like a couple days ago, so he might be coming to the Philadelphia area. But I highly recommend it. As far as, I mean, you haven't you haven't seen music live until you've seen the Victor Wooten band, so check okay. it out. Yeah, the next show I'm seeing is uh, next next week. I'm seeing Jonathan Colton and John Roderick. Ooh, very nice. Yes, I've seen I've seen Jonathan Colton before. Uh, even saw him with a full band when he opened for They Might Be Giants on their last uh, trip to Philly. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen John Roderick, so this will be a treat. Yeah, he's yeah, I, go oh, ahead. Yeah, he, he's a hometown boy for us. Uh, Roderick is, I mean. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, it's sort of like uh, you know. I remember like a while ago you were telling me like yeah, there's this like really cool guy like his name's like John Roderick. He's from the Long Winters, and I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally know him. I've seen him live. My girlfriend has a crush on him. <laughs> oh, you're you're just discovering John Roderick now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like uh, he he he's so last century. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to John Roderick before he was cool. Before he had a cool podcast with Merlin Mann. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I saw John Roderick in uh, Brooklyn. 
don't even know if that was last year or it was a few months ago. I don't know, but it was just a solo show while he was touring with Amy Mann, and it was phenomenal. He only played for an hour, but the way he interacted with the audience and took requests and was bullshitting around, it was just fantastic. Yeah, I wanted they, they came to Philly on that tour, but uh, this, it was a bad night for me to go to a show, and I, you know, I don't want to go. I don't want to be that guy who shows up to a show just for the opening act. And I'm sorry, I just have no interest in seeing Amy Mann. Hmm. Yeah, I was fortunate that it was just uh, he was headlining. Oh, cool. And his, his opening act was pretty good, too. Another solo acoustic guitarist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now I can... But, uh, oh. <laughs> Victor's coming to Glenside, Philadelphia. I don't know if that's close to you, Rich, but what's, what's he'll the, be there on the 8th. What's the venue name? The venue? Oh, I just closed it. <laughs> Killing me. He's playing at the Keswick Theater. Oh, yeah. yeah that was. In, I saw Weird Al Yankovic there many, many moons ago. Mm. In Glenside, PA. Yep. It's kind of a pain in the ass to get to, but it's a nice venue. Yeah. Is it uh, a seated venue? Yeah. Yeah. When I first saw Victor play at Toad's Place, it was general admission, which was really great because you could move around and dance and stuff. And it's a really. It's a. The music is very danceable, um, even though it's part jazz, part funk, part fusion. Um, but s- ever since then, they've been putting in chairs and tables, which mm. is kind of not as fun because you have to remain in your seat the entire time. So, yeah. But either way, do not miss Victor Wooten when he comes to town. I'll try. Uh, it just depends on when and how much. <laughs> yeah, tickets are pretty good. They're like $25 a day of show. At least they were in New Haven. And do you have any shows you're seeing soon, Matt? I feel like we're leaving uh, you out. No, uh, let's see. I've got um, uh, Ray Davis of the Kinks is coming out pretty soon. Mm. And uh, actually, like, uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, in August, Weird Al is playing uh, Benaroya Hall, which is this, like, really... It's where the Seattle Symphony plays. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, it's, like, kind of funny because aside from the symphony, the um, I've also seen John Waters there. <laughs> so it's sort of like you know odd but unfortunately uh al's not playing with the cl symphony it's just going to be as you know his normal show which is going to be awesome and i'm so, still super excited especially because the acoustics are really good there but mm. it would be really awesome to see you know symphonic al yankovic more bands need to work with symphonies yes more good bands yeah like metallica does but you know i said good bands i know exactly <laughs> Like Metallica got to work with like Michael Kamen, which is like what the hell? I I, I want to work with him, except that he's dead now. Hmm. Well, speaking of good bands, I guess that's a, as good of a segue as any into our picks. Picks, yeah, totally. All right, I started last time, so Andrew, you want to start with me? Yeah. Okay. Let's um, talk about the Flaming Lips and Yoshimi battles the pink robots yes let's uh, so you guys love this record apparently which is good yes <laughs> I do as well and um i'll just say a little bit about my flaming lips background i'm not actually a huge flaming lips fan in the sense of knowing a whole lot of their discography i'm just very in love with this one album and I like a few songs um, from their other records, but I haven't really gotten into them very much beyond that. Um, but this record was introduced to me way back in college, like in my freshman year of college. And this was a record that I would listen to 
driving back and forth between home and school. And I went to college at Sacred Heart University, which is in Fairfield. So it's about a 45-minute commute, which is perfect for listening to a new record. And um, my friend Olivia actually sent me the song, It's Summertime, and uh, which I really enjoyed. And I proceeded to uh, buy the album and discover that I loved the entire record. And uh, I think I have a hard time putting into words exactly why I love this album. I just kind of love the feel of it. And it's sort of sort of spacey and somewhat electronic and somewhat organic. And I don't know how it compares or contrasts to the other Flaming Lips works. Um, but my favorite song is probably Are You a Hypnotist, which we will play for you folks now. that song i could have picked a number of songs i really like it's summertime i also like do you realize which i think was the single yeah um, which i which i find very uplifting and um and smile inducing and uh i don't know i just think it's a great record it's very unique it has a great feel to it it's kind of organic and it's got that sort of space rocky electronic but still very listenable feel and i just enjoy it very much so you guys being bigger flaming lips fans i believe illuminate me well, okay. I'm only slightly bigger. Uh, I do. I, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots was the, the thing. Actually, no, it's the second record I got by them. Uh, the first one was. Well, what the hell is the one with She Don't Use. Transmissions from the Satellite Heart. Hmm. Yeah, it's because it's, I'm sure you know the song She Don't Use Jelly. Uh, I know it, but I couldn't tell you how it goes off the top of my head. Yeah. She yeah. uses magazines. <laughs> oh, that, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, that was also, I think, the first Lemmy Lip song I ever heard, so I went and checked that out. But the second album I got was Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. What year did that even come out? Uh, I want to say 2002. 2002. Yeah. yeah, so I think I got it not long after, like maybe 2003, back when I was in college, my first year of college. And if you tell me you got this record in your first year of college, Matt, I won't believe you because you were in college before this album came out. Yes, it'd be my third year of college. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, maybe second, you know, because of the timing. But yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I have the same problem. I can't really describe what I like about it so much. It's, it's so lush, it's yeah. so wonderfully textured. There's so much happening. There's such. Incredible musicians, great songwriters. Um, now, unfortunately, it's like this and the soft bulletin were this like incredible peak. Yeah, some of the stuff they did before then is kind of hit or miss, and of the stuff they've done after, again, it's hit or miss. I, I people gush over embryonic, and I just can't get into it. I got you one embryonic. Uh, it's the one immediately previous, I think. Uh, yeah, and I haven't I, even... I oh, go on. Go ahead. No, I just was going to say I only have uh, the Soft Bulletin, 
Yoshimi and At War with the Mystics, I think, is, is the extent of my Flaming Lips discography. Yeah. At War with the Mystics is pretty good, too. I don't know why I forgot about that one. But, I mean, it's, it's, it is a, a step down from Yoshimi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I thought it got kind of unfairly slagged. I mean, there's a lot of really great stuff on that one. Oh, no, it's, it's a great album. It's a really good album. I don't think it's as good as Yoshimi or even The Soft Bulletin. If, Yoshim, if we're pegging Yoshimi as an A+, At War with the Mystics is a very solid B+. Yeah, I think that's fair, yeah. And The Soft Bulletin is an A, in my opinion, but I can understand why someone would rate The Soft Bulletin higher than Yoshimi. And yeah, I'm not, I won't fault anyone for having a different opinion on that. I think I think the Lips are kind of a college band. I, I think because like that's when I got into them too. Was um, not my first year, <laughs> <laughs> but it was through it was through Yoshimi. It was like um, it, it came in at, uh, when I was at my um, college station. I think yeah, I was GM at the time, and my um, assistant music director, uh, who ended up kind of becoming music director, but. Um, he was huge into the lips and like, it was like basically like, you know, like I remember actually like stumbling across a copy of Zyrico back when it was still out of print and bought it for him just because, you know, I knew he didn't have it and was like, it was hard to find. It was like a brand new copy at a, at a borders. So I was like, I, I grabbed that for him and he was just beside himself. But, um, so anyway, so Yoshimi came out and like Phil said, uh, said fell at the station was just like, oh my god, this is so awesome. You know, I love the new record of the Lips. I mean, it's just like, it's like Soft Bulletin Part 2, just like off, and he would play um, Do You Realize constantly, because it's such a gorgeous song, and mm-hmm. so sad too, honestly, I mean. But um, it's, you know, so gorgeous, and like, hearing it enough, I, I ended up going, this is really, really good. And I ended up like, uh, sitting up in the station and like, I think one time I even just broadcast the entire record because no one was listening anyway. And it was like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just, I want to hear it. Let's make everyone else hear it too. Even though again, we, we weren't actually broadcasting over the air. It was a, a cable station and most people didn't um, know that you could actually plug in cable to your radio. Mm. Um, so um, like usually when the college TV station was off air, they would play us, but that but yeah, that was again a little hit or miss. But um, so I, I just fell in love with it and ended up like buying the record um, shortly after and listening to it over and over and ended up like getting the rest of the Lips discography. And I, I actually like the entire thing. I mean, it's I mean the entire discography. I mean uh, because there it is different. Like they like basically you know they became a different band after um, or right before uh, Soft Bulletin. And it's I mean, it's like, you know, most of the same guys because they've had, a, they've always had a high turnover. But I mean, like, if you listen to their early stuff, it's like really, really you know, kind of butthole surfersy, And like in the, the Fearless Freaks documentary even like Gibby Haynes kind of like you know, like chides them for ripping off the butthole surfers. You know? <laughs> But um, it like that stuff is really really good, and then you have like the uh, the really spacey pretty stuff from like Soft Bulletin up to um, like War with the Mystics. Then you have Embryonic, which is kind of a return, but not really. 
And I don't know, I, just the entire thing is so cool. Um, there's actually some, like, uh, a couple of discs on uh, Ryko Disc of, like, their really early stuff. Like, uh, uh, finally, the punk rockers are t- taking acid. And, um, which oddly enough is actually an accurate description of the lips or in the early days. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the day they shot a hole in the Jesus egg. And those are basically, like, a lot of the, like, pretty much everything they did in the early stuff, including, like, a... Uh, a uh, single that they did for for sub pop, which was uh, a medley of uh, "What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding," you know, by uh, Nick Lowe and Elvis Costello, and uh, "Strychnine" by the Sonics. Who, so if you don't know the Sonics, they're like a brilliant uh, early um, garage band up in Seattle. They're like kind of hometown heroes, and they've kind of like among music geeks, they've got a, a pretty good. Um, rating i guess which is good but um but yeah i mean like in seattle it's like basically you know the sonics are awesome <laughs> yeah um but yeah I, I i just adore this record um dave friedman is like an amazing producer um and actually it's kind of funny because like um he also produced uh steve burns's first album like uh you know steve from blues clues mm-hmm. yes uh, he did a record with uh, Dave Friedman. He's he's also friends with the Lips, and he's in their movie. But um, the album is uh, "Songs for Dust Mites," and it's very much like if you like Yoshimi, you'll love um, the uh, Steve Burns record. Hmm. Well, that's good to know because I remember when that was coming out, and everyone was freaking out, like, "Oh my God, it's the guy the guy from Blues Clues. He, he's he's trying to do a music career, adult, yeah, with, for adult music and just." And I, do I, I want to check this out. I never got around to it. Now, now I have an excuse to go check it out. Yeah, it, it's actually really, really good. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I love the lips. Um, so thanks, Phil, for uh, turning me on to, uh, to them. Yeah. I think just saying how you used to play the whole, the record in its entirety, I think that it's a great record that should be listened to in its entirety. And I understand from briefly glancing over Wikipedia here, that there's some controversy about whether or not this is a concept album. And um, I understand that Wayne Coyne says that it's not, but it kind of feels like it to me, just in the progression, especially over the first few songs, where you have that sort of narrative about Yoshimi battling the pink robots. Um, yeah, I, But it, ha- it has that cohesive feel of a concept album. Yeah, I kind of think that like like the first side of it, give or take, is... You know, I mean, if you were listening to it on vinyl, it might even be a, a f- like two disc. I don't know, but uh, mm-hmm. like that first brick of songs that I'm just going to declare as side A, yeah. that that feels like a concept record, and then side B kind of feels like, you know, a, a collection of songs that still flow, and it they flow so well, it kind of fools you into thinking that it's still a concept record, right? <laughs> if that, if that yeah. makes sense, because I mean, like, and I mean, the thing is too is I mean, the like, can we just start, talk about the the opener of the album on a fight test? Absolutely. God, mm-hmm. that just like I mean, not even just the sample. The you know, you know, the 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 test begins now, 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 now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have like, but the song itself is so gorgeous. And I know that it's it's sort of a subconsciously ripped off of a, a Cat Stevens record. Mm-hmm. Uh, father and son and i've heard father and son and it's it, it is a really good song as well and you can totally go oh yeah this is totally fight test 
And but it was like one where it was like settled amicably, and they just gave Cat uh, Stevens a co-write credit on it, and everyone was like cool because it was like not not intentional. It was like oh, kind of like the uh, she's so fine, uh, my sweet, sweet lord. lord. Yeah, sort of same deal, you know. But you should throw a link to the original in the in the in the show notes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll um, I will do that. I will include a YouTube uh, video of Cat uh, Stevens' father and son. And you said that there's a uh, instrumental version of this record out there somewhere. Yeah, um, there's actually like um, there's um, one that was I think it was released through as like a listening party kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And well, that okay, that one I'm thinking of is the uh, one where Wayne Coyne introduces all the songs. Like he'll uh, tell the story about the song and then play the real the the song. Right. And there's also a instrumental version floating around. I think it might be an online only thing because I actually like uh, stumbled across that one in some of the more unsavory parts of the internet. Let's say <laughs> um, euphemism. Yes, <laughs> um, but it's like basically it's you know just the instrumental mix of the album, which is gorgeous, and also um, the the uh, one that I have that is like I I you know own a physical copy of, of course, is the Five one uh, mix of the album, which is absolutely amazing. Mm. Have you have either of you heard that one? No, no, I I, I don't have a five point one system to listen to at stuff one. So okay, like totally either get one or befriend someone who does because the the mix is really cool because they like a lot of times with like five one mixes, like I, I've I've got a few and a lot of them are just basically kind of stereo plus like yeah. it, it's sort of like you know oh they they put the weird thing in the rear speakers instead of having it just be kind of low on the mix wow right. uh the lips went full out with this and we're like really experimenting and doing stuff which makes sense co- considering they you know kind of did like surround mixes with you know before you really could with um the Zyreka record you know which mm-hmm. if you don't know is one album split across four CDs where like each, each of the four CDs has a different mix of the same eight or so songs. And you're supposed to like put them all on different boom boxes and play them all at the same time. Um, so, but the thing is like with the, uh, the Yoshimi mix is that they're doing the same thing, but really cool effects. Like, do you realize is absolutely amazing because what they do is they have, each of the individual tracks, like, you know, you have, like, the bass track and the vocal track and the guitar track and the drum track and the synth track yeah. and the other synth track and the other synth track. <laughs> and they're all rotating around the listener at different speeds. Wow. It's super cool. Like, I've always, it's like one of those things where it's like, growing up, I always had the idea of, you know, doing something like that. And then I, like, get the the record and they fucking stole my idea <laughs> and but the good thing is is my idea was awesome <laughs> it really works <laughs> so yeah i have a 5.1 so i'm gonna have to check that out yeah i think it's still in print um but it's so cool so worth it um there's also five ones of um soft bulletin and um um mystics nice and i hear that they're they're like they've been kind of working on and off on a uh, actual five one mix of Zyreka too. So, 
but that one has not been released if it ever will be. So speaking of concerts and the Flaming Lips, have you guys seen them live? I want to, but I have not. Same here. I saw them, I want to say, I've been to a few music festivals, and I believe I saw them at the Echo Project in 2007, which was in Fairburn, Georgia. And, you know, famously, they have a very uh, elaborate stage act. And... um I found it enjoyable, but I also found um, Wayne's stage presence to be kind of annoying, at least in a uh, in a um, festival setting, because he was sort of constantly in this sort of hippie, come on, you guys, come on, you guys, come on, you guys, every five seconds, um, encouraging the crowd to sing. And all of the, the props and stuff were very cool and entertaining, um, but... I think I found uh, the listening experience of the album to be a little bit more enjoyable than the live act, which is um, something that I don't usually feel. So, but I definitely recommend checking them out. I don't mean to end on a low note there, but um, definitely see the Flaming Lips live and come up with your own opinion. And the, the kind of the impression I get from, like, because I've got the, um, they did a DVD, um, uh, UFOs at the Zoo, of, of yeah. a live show, and the impression that I get from like watching that and the documentary and you know the you know other stuff the you know the lips have done, I kind of get the impression that's actually just Wayne, <laughs> you know that's like that he's not really putting on an act. It's like you know because he he really does just come off as this like really cool laid back kind of hippie ish kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And I mean I think it's kind of cool that he actually does help build the set and everything too, which a lot of uh, folks you know, who are at that level don't. They just, yeah. you know, eh, you know, I'll, I'll come out five minutes before I'm supposed to, to show up, you know. <laughs> but it just seems that, like, Wayne actually is that kind of real down-to-earth, if kind of hippie-ish and maybe even, a, maybe even in an annoying way. But I, I, think, he's, I think he's genuine in, in that, you know. Yeah, I think there might have also been... Uh, well, I have no doubt that he's genuine about it, but I think that also might have been... A, uh, there might have been some political motivations um, behind some of the encouragement that he was putting into the crowd. Do you guys have any opinions on uh, rock stars using their rock starness in politics on stage? Uh, not really. I'm kind of like it's. I I I I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's like the the most proper venue because it like has kind of like a. Andy Partridge said about uh, Dear God, it's kind of hard to get a, uh, a co- coherent and in-depth opinion on something as big as, you know, religion in that case or politics in a three and a half minute pop song. Right. And I think it sort of goes double for, you know, stage banter. Mm-hmm. But, in, in, but I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it's okay, I guess. And I mean, as, you know, uh, a, left-wing nut job i find that most rock stars other than like ted nugent tend to like agree with me so at least it's sort of like you know like yeah george bush totally does fucking suck yeah woo you know and because that is about the level of discourse it's not you know let's let's sit down and talk about his policies (laughs) yeah i mean i tend i'm like you man i tend to agree with what most of my favorite musicians have to say in that regard but i know some people are kind of offended that they seem to be taking advantage of their quote unquote position of power to broadcast their political beliefs on stage. But what are you going to do? Yeah. That- I think it, 
it, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's, you know, I think they have the right to do it. Um, and I mean, if, if, you know, if I do disagree, I can always just tune it out. I mean, I think it was like kind of stupid what happened with the Dixie Chicks, which is, it's kind of funny because it's still kind of going on. There's still people who like refuse to play the Dixie Chicks. Mm. Mm. At least I'm going to say for me, it depends a on the band and b how much they're doing a, do how much they're doing it. Right. I I just when you if you a uh, couple years about two years ago I went to see Gang of Four. And if you have not heard of them, the name it might clue you in as to their political views. But let's just say. They're slightly to the right of Chumbawamba. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, they didn't spend a lot of time in their show talking politics, but they spent a lot of time in their show singing politics. You know, a lot of their songs are very heavily political, but you know that going in. On the yeah. other hand, if, if uh, I have a recording of my first ever Devo concert uh, with them in Central Park in 2004... And there's a couple, just a couple little, there's, Diva doesn't do a lot of between song banter anyway, but there's two bits of where Jerry Casale, uh, right before Satisfaction, it's a miserable, it was a miserable rainy afternoon going into evening, and he said, and this is 2004, an election year, uh, right before Satisfaction, can you believe the Republicans even control the weather now? <laughs> Which, yeah, was, at the time was hilarious, and it's, being there and being soaked, I can still I still find it hilarious. And then, after one of their most actually openly political songs, "Freedom of Choice," he says, "Freedom of choice, use it or lose it, because it's gone away fast in this here land." And that's it. They also they also stumped for Obama. They did a, a, a fundraising show for that for him in two thousand and eight. And I think yeah, that's also you know what you're getting into going in for something like that. Yeah, and I think Devo always was a, a pretty political band. I mean, yeah. I mean, look at like Dove, the Band of Love, which is like this, you know, kind of you know deconstruction of like a uh, Ragonian politics and the you know the lay of the land circa you know late yeah. nineteen seventy nine, early nineteen eighty. You know, it's oh sorry. I, I um, oh, I mean, I, I guess if you just know Whip It, you might you know be surprised. But I mean, I think. I, I think Devo kind of falls in that, maybe not as as solidly as Gang of Four, of course, but I mean, I think they kind of, you know, yeah. but you know what you're in for. I it's guess. more just the amount that they do with it. I mean, that that was that's more the mm-hmm. juxtaposition I was trying to do, just like a little bit here and there instead of like spending the like. I don't want to. I don't want to go see a band and have them spend every between song doing political stuff because that's. I'm not here to hear you stump. I'm here to hear you play. Unless I'm here to see you stump, but that's a different situation. Yeah. <laughs> cough, cough. You too. Cough, cough. <laughs> yeah. So like, people should listen to yes, you. Yes. No matter what robots. your political opinion. <laughs> yes. That's the that's the takeaway. No matter from your all political this. Pi- your political takeaway. spectrum uh, placement, you need to listen to Yoshimi battles the pink robots, and that's something that we can all agree on. Unless you're like a yes. hardcore anti-technology and, uh, person. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> yes. In which case, you suck. <laughs> uh, we'd get angry emails except for that, except that they don't use email. Yeah, I know. It's like it's like pissing off the Amish, you know. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I really want to talk about your pick, Matt. 
Okay. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> okay, I, I hope that this is because you really liked it. It's not going to turn into like you know fetus part two. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's find out. <laughs> I I chose uh, Mike Watts' uh, Ball Hog or Tugboat, his very first uh, solo record after uh, both the Minutemen and um, um, Firehose, and it's. Uh, the, the one thing about this record that makes me sad is that it's, like, so readily available in, like, dollar bins. <laughs> oh. And, but it's really, really good. So, I mean, I guess, like, you know, you can use my sadness to your advantage and pick up this really great record for, like, you know, you know a couple bucks. But um, it's, the, the cool thing with it is it's, uh, he calls it the wrestling record just because it's so many um, collaborations with people. Like Watt, Watt himself actually only sings on a couple of the tracks, uh, mm -hmm. including Big Train, which you can hear a little bit of right now. And with this this album, I mean, Watt, you know, is a, an amazing bassist. I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of a, 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 a given. That's like a duh. <laughs> and uh, it's just like all over. But the, the cool thing with the album is that there's so many different styles. Like, I mean, like you have Big Train, which is like really like driving and bluesy. Mm -hmm. And but then you it goes into like against the 70s, which is, this you know, pretty much, you know, straight up pop song um and then you have like drove up from pedro which is you know really you know a slow pretty song and it, and it just kind of goes on from there and but it's like kind of amazing looking at the you know the the lineup of who we got like on big train um it's what on uh, singing on ba and playing bass dave grohl with drums and lap steel nels klein on slide Eddie Vedder on uh, guitar and backup Vox, Jay Massis uh, on lead guitar, and Chris and Kurt, uh, Kirkwood on uh, banjo and lead guitar, which is sort of like a, you know, a who's who of, you know, alt-rock right there, you know. Yeah. And the entire album is basically like that, like Against the 70s is sung by Eddie Vedder and with Dave Grohl on drums and Chris Novoselic of Nirvana on uh, Farfisa. And uh, Piss Bottle Man, which one of the which was the other single, was sung by uh, Evan Dando of the Lemonheads, and also has like Anna Waronker of That Dog, uh, and uh, on backup box along with her bandmates in That Dog, Petra Hayden and Rachel Hayden, and you know Frank Black's on this record. Um, most of Sonic Youth is on the record. Henry Rollins is on it. Uh, Mark Lanigan uh, from. Um, uh, Screaming Trees, um, like just Flea, Pat Smear. Uh, I, I'm actually looking at the liner notes right now just so I can kind of see. Uh, see, Kathleen Hanna leaves kind of an annoying voicemail on one of the songs. Uh, they do a cover yep. of Maggot Brain with uh, Bernie Worrell from uh, P Funk. Yep. Um, just 
amazing lineup. And the thing is, is I mean, the songs are all really amazing too. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, I just love the hell out of this record. I mean, there's like, like a, a couple of, um, there's a few covers like Tough Gnarl, which is a Sonic Youth song, which actually features like most of Sonic Youth on it. Uh, Maggot Brain, as I mentioned. Um, there's a couple of um, um, Minutemen songs on here too, like uh, one <laughs> one reporter's opinion. Um, coincidences either hit or miss. Um, it's just a really great record, and the thing too is, I mean, the art uh, on the um, album art is by uh, Raymond Pettibone, and it's got s- like um, such a great line on there, which is uh, "Sex with you is like watching scientific wrestling." Which is just one of those senses it's always like just lodged itself in my brain because it's such a great flow and evocative sentence. And basically it makes me sad that this one is in the dollar bin because apparently people didn't like it because people are stupid. Um, so that, that's right. I, if you don't like this record, I'm calling you stupid right now. <laughs> it's not a Acqu- taste issue anymore. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, this is his best-selling album other than double nickels on the dime mm. uh, that's good but it, it's i guess it's one where it like it sold a lot and then people got sick of it or something i don't know yeah. but but yeah it's just really great one and i think both big train and piss bottle man were on beavis and butthead too which is i remember i remember watching the piss bottle man video on beavis and butthead so so what did you guys think are you guys stupid no, my uh, <laughs> my exposure, <laughs> my exposure to Mike Watt. Uh, I was actually really excited that you picked this, Matt, because Mike Watt has been on my list of um, musicians to check out, and especially because his being a bass player that I wasn't really familiar with, it was on my to-do list. But I knew um, that Mike Watt existed because um, Government Mule back in 2001 when their bass player died uh, they did a project called The Deep End where they had a they recorded a double album with um, a revolving uh, series of bass players and Mike Watt actually played bass on Effigy which I have in the show notes mm. and um, Mike Gordon the bass player from Fish made a and also a hobbyist filmmaker or serious filmmaker I suppose um did a documentary on the making of those records uh, called Rising Low. And I found that the interview segments with Mike Watt were very interesting, and I really enjoyed what he had to say. And it's funny that this is the wrestling record, because I remember watching that album, or excuse me, watching that DVD documentary, um, that he often describes his bass playing as... Uh, wrestling moves, and he would be he would demonstrate some of the his wrestling moves on the bass, which was just a very cool approach uh, to his bass playing. So yeah, as a bass player, um, I thought this was a great record. Uh, I only had time to listen to it, I think, twice, so I'm going to give it many more listens. Uh, but I enjoyed that the bass was really in the forefront, um, and it kind of struck this balance for me between um, we were talking about bassless duos a couple of shows ago and uh on the other end you have like lead bass with like primus and things like that and mike watt kind of strikes me as being somewhere in the middle where the bass is prominent but still in a very strong supportive sort of role and i loved big train 
And uh, I also love Song for Igor was one that really jumped out at me on the first listen just because it was really funky. And I think it has some horns in there. And I, I really enjoyed that one. And uh, this is – is this punk or what, what genre do we classify this as? That's kind of the problem the Minutemen have always had. I mean they were um, um, they were on SST Records. Um, and so they kind of got lumped in as punk. Mm-hmm. But it was one where like – um, there's actually a really brilliant documentary on uh, them called We Jam Econo. Yeah. Um, I, I've thrown a link in the show notes. Um, and it's actually what turned me on to the Minutemen because I'd heard really good things about the, the documentary. And so and it was on a Plexifilm, who are a pretty good label. And so I, so I blind bought it. I was like, you know, this is going to be interesting probably. And if not, well, you know, whatever. Threw it in, was blown away by the documentary and then there's a second disc of just Minutemen live stuff and music videos and whatnot and I was just completely blown away but the thing with the Minutemen is that they were like basically uh, D. Boone and Mike Watt and George Hurley were the Minutemen mm-hmm. um, and the Minutemen folded when uh, Boone, D. Boone died in a um, car accident like, I think it was like Christmas Day or the day after Christmas which wow happy holidays um, and, but basically Watt and Boone were like just best friends till the end. And they were all over the place with their musical, um, likes. And, but it was like kind of interesting because they, they would, they were as into punk as much as they were into jazz. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, the Minutemen stuff is really like more on the jazz side almost, you know, it's like, it's that kind of. I guess punk aesthetic, but with really jazzy stuff. So I mean, I guess, I guess you could call like you know Ballhog or Tugboat, kind of punk. I guess or you know, I guess this one's a little bit more alt rockish. Just you know, with like you know the who's who of uh, who's playing on it. Yeah, but the, re- the reason I ask is because uh, I'm not very well versed in punk, and usually this is probably bad to say to a punk fan but when i think of punk it i just think of green day and that sort of thing um which i'm not a fan of so uh but i'm reading mike watt's wikipedia article here and it says cmj new music called Watt a seminal post-punk bass player so i clicked over to the post-punk page and it says post-punk is a rock movement with its roots in the late 1970s and the genre retains its roots in the punk movement, but is more introverted, complex, and experimental, which I thought was kind of interesting because punk music, kind of similar to country, has always struck me as a a more more energetic, but possibly less deep uh, musical genre. And um, forget your chance really, to play real dumb. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. I guess so. But uh, but I really enjoyed uh, this record and kind of post-punk kind of makes sense to me in terms of that there's more depth to it, but it still kind of has that punk attitude and that punk kind of aggressiveness. Aggression. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing, too, is, I mean, like, with the, with the aggression is, I mean, like, you know, the Minutemen and Watt can be really aggressive in music, but for all intents and purposes, they were, like, D. Boone and Watt were, like, the nicest guys in the world. Yeah. Like, there was actually, like, one of the things that, like, I'd always been, like, uh, aware of Watt, because, um, on the uh, Alt Music Ween uh, Usenet group, which, you know, Grandpa, what's Usenet? <laughs> but um, it, there was, like, a running gig that was kind of, like, along the lines of the lame Chuck Norris jokes. 
about Watt, but instead of being, you know, how tough he was, it was like how nice he was. It was like, you know, Mike Watt, you know, saved my life. Mike Watt, you know, built me a 7-Eleven to get me a Slurpee, you know, that kind of things. I'm just like, you know, over the top, you know, niceness, but also like just important things about, about Watt. And it was just like really kind of funny, but it was like just basically about what a cool guy Watt was. And I really get the impression that, you know, like if you got to know Watt, he would be your best friend. Yeah, he seems like it because again, in the in the Rising Low documentary with Government Mule, his interview sections are uh, segments are just really great, and he seems like a really maybe slightly eccentric but very uh, friendly guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I just like, I mean, I, I just you know think the world of Watt. You know, even even if like some sometimes his songs are kind of like you know oh okay on some of his like uh, later albums, you know it's. Like the hyphenated man is his newest, and that one, that one's okay, you know. But even with those, you know, I still like have the utmost respect for Watt because just because he's out there, you know, doing what he wants, and you know, basically, just is such a a, a cool, friendly type of guy that you know, it's like, you know, Mike Watt, you rock. <laughs> so, uh, hey, Rich. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Interesting listening. Don't worry. Uh, I don't have much to say about this. Certainly not nearly as much as uh, as you and Andrew. <laughs> but I do want to at least start by saying I'm not stupid either. Yay. <laughs> so you know, no, no fetus here. Um, the uh, I thought this was uh, the first thing that came to mind actually when I put on Big Train was morphine. Hmm. I don't know if I don't know. I got that same vibe, and it, that sort of carried me through. I I'd be honest. I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole record, but I listened to Big Train quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, I'm definitely gonna have to spend more time with this and listen to this a lot because what I heard, I loved. Uh, for again, what I've I'm not a huge fan of the Minutemen uh, as uh, music, but I I respect their influence. I respect Mike Watt. You know, occasionally I'll put on double nickels on the dime just to see if it'll find it'll click in a way that it hasn't before. Um, I don't know if maybe that's the best best place to start with the minute, man. I will defer to you on that one, but I, I think it, I think it is. I mean, that's probably the one I would I would recommend honestly. But yeah, that's the only Minutemen record I have, and I haven't. I've tried a couple times, and I, it hasn't clicked with me either. It's it's a big it's a big record. It There's is. a lot there. Yeah, I think the so. CD even cuts a couple tracks just to fit it all in. Right. So, um, but again, there's a difference between not liking a, 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 an album as much. I mean, I, I like it, but I don't, it, it doesn't, I don't love it, but I can still appreciate it and I can still respect Mike Watt and, the, and everything they've done. I got to check out that documentary because maybe that'll push me over the edge. Mm. Yeah, I think it's like, I think the DVD itself is out of print, but, um, it is available on iTunes. I don't know if that includes the uh, the bonus disc of all of the Minutemen live footage, but um, even if it doesn't, the, the documentary itself is well worth your time. Mm-hmm. But, so that that's all I have to say about. It. I just I like what I heard. I have a lot of respect for the artist, and yeah, thank you for thank you for hooking me up with this. Yeah, it's it's really good. I mean, I I I just you know was like. 
blown away by it. It's like when we're, like I said, I'd seen uh, Piss Bottle Man on Beavis and Butthead, and I think it was, I think my work had a copy of this one, and I ended up, uh, you know, listening to it at work and being like, oh my god, this is like the best record ever, and ended up uh, actually buying a copy, so. Full price or from the dollar bin? Uh, actually, mine was not in the dollar bin, because I think the dollar bin ones were a bit more beat up. So apparently I paid uh, $7 for my copy because it still has the sticker on it. <laughs> but, but yeah, I was like, because it is one that I do see a lot in the, the dollar bin or the cut rate bin. And yeah, so. I was, I, again, Matt, I was just really glad that you picked this because I've been meaning to investigate Mike Watt uh, more. And for, as a bass player, he's just very iconic to me with his is Gibson EB3 um, bass guitar, that red one. And uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Cool. So I'm glad to have this exposure. Yeah, and like check out his webpage too. It's uh, it's in the show notes, but it's uh, www.hootpage.com. So it's Mike Watts' Hoot page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like it's very like late 90s design. Um, maybe even early, early mid 90s, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, but it's like very idiosyncratic and it's just sort of uh, interesting. I think that kind of reveals some of, you know, the Watt aesthetic, I think. It's yeah. sort of like, I'm going to do this and it might not be pretty, but it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and then sometimes he does do pretty stuff, so there you go. Good pick so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully I'm not going to spoil it. Um <laughs> I, I talked very briefly about my pick this week. Last week, I uh, saw him perform at a show that I was working the door at uh, in South Philly. And this is it's Mr. Unloved. And rather than trying to explain his, his, his deal, I'm just going to let you listen to a little bit of potion number 666 right now. Get a half pint of breast milk. from the mouth of a mad dog gone wild. Add some toenails from a cripple and the hymen of a nun with a pinch of ash from the urn of a widow's only son. And that was uh, Mr. Unloved. Hard, it's hard to describe, but... Um, well, first of all, this I should explain. should say that he has no CDs to buy uh, he's mostly a live act, and you'll find actually a, a link to him on YouTube uh, to uh, the Potion Six 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 video on YouTube, and his own YouTube channel, which has some other live footage of him. And it's a very interesting show. Um, I've described him to people uh, as sort of Tom Waits meets Psycho Billy meets um, H.P. Lovecraft. Which, again, you probably heard of, uh, you listened to last week's episode. <laughs> but I, I love it. It's just this wonderful uh, piano blues and some other pastiches. Uh, one of the songs he did, I wish I, I would have picked this if I could find a, a clip, a, clip or a, an MP3 of the whole thing, was a, a 50s piano ballad about necrophilia. A hilarious That's hot. 50s piano ballad about necrophilia. 
Because if you're going to write a song about necrophilia, it should be funny. Uh, yeah, I think, if, I think if it's earnest, it's just kind of creepy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's an unwritten rule. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you want to actually fuck dead people, at least have the decency to make a joke about it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, boy, we're going to get in trouble for this one. <laughs> We've earned the explicit tag. All right. <laughs> so I Sorry, just, Billy. <laughs> so I just fell in love with all this. With, with his performance, uh, the visual style, the, the, the music, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear what you folks think. Matt. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know. I just like, thought it was like kind of funny the way that like uh, Andrew was just like, you go. <laughs> I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> no, it's not bad. I just need a platform to build off of. <laughs> okay. that, that's what they all say. <laughs> a platform to build off of to show why you're wrong. <laughs> um, I, with with uh, Potion Six Sixty Six, um, I like I I didn't have like the uh, huge connection that you did with it. And again, like it's partly probably because I just saw the the video, which is kind of lo-fi and you know not you know not a great piece of filmmaking. But and I mean, I think I think the audio quality itself was a little a little dicey. But I think you kind of you kind of get that with YouTube sometimes, especially when it's like in uh, the two forty p. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I didn't have that like immediate you know bolt from the blue connection that it seemed that you did, but. I generally liked it. I like I wanted to like it more. And I think I think for me it was a little bit too bluesy. Like I think I think if there had been a little bit more um experimentation with the arrangement, like because I I, I I think you know Tom Waits is a definitely like a good touchstone. But I think like part of the thing that I love with Tom Waits, especially the you know the the island and later era with uh Tom Waits is, you know, the you know, the percussion and the kind of the weird things that he puts in the arrangements, the, you know, with like Celeste and, you know, the, the almost like Gamlian orchestra kind of sound. Right. I should have specified that it is more early Tom Waits. Yeah. Like Heart Attack and Fine era. Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely, you know, see that. And I, I do like the, you know, Heart Attack and Vine, um, like what was it? Uh, Atlantic era, I think, or Electra. The one of the Warner Warner labels, and I like that era, but I like I love the Island era of Tom Waits, and so I think I was a little expecting you know more Island Waits, but like like I said, I could I could appreciate this, and I think part of it too is I mean it you know even if uh, Mister and Loved wanted to do the you know the Gamlian style Tom Waits, it's a little hard to you know cart around to you know bars in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's sort of like I, I can, you know, I can't blame him for having the more, you know, stripped down kind of conventional, you know, arrangement for it. Um, the song itself was was good. Like, like I said, it's more that I was I think I was a little bit primed for something else. And I think that, that kind of made me kind of go like, oh, you know, <laughs> a little bit. But in general, I liked it like. I would have to hear more, and I mean, it's it's a pity that he doesn't have a record out. So I would like to hear, hear like a, a record, you know, of this, other than like the handful of uh, kind of eh, videos on YouTube. 
And I'm talking more as, uh, in terms of filmmaking yeah, than yeah. musical. Yeah. In our show notes, I have a link to his Reverb Nation page, and I also I put that in our notes. But uh, even the Reverb Nation is kind of sad because there's two clips, uh, two sort of cut together bits of demos. Yeah, you, know, you get like thirty second bits of songs instead of the full song, mm. and two. But there are but there are two other two full songs. In fact, one of them is very clearly from back in back when all the bands were on MySpace because he makes reference to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that it's. I wish I I, I, I had something to to flog of his that a had full songs and b you could pick, give him money for. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, it's like I would want to hear more. I mean, like if. If I were in Philly, I'd probably, you know, almost certainly go see him live. You know, but it's just sort of like stuck here in Seattle with, you know, kind of kind of shitty YouTube videos. It's sort of like, oh, OK. Yeah, I, I, I could see why you like this. But it, it doesn't it. There's that lack of fidelity, I guess, is what kind of erects a little bit of a barrier. I'll agree with um, most of what Matt said, and uh, I didn't dislike it. Um, I enjoyed it, but it didn't uh, grab me, you know, right off the bat. Um, I think the it is very bluesy, like you were saying, Matt, and I think that part of the audio quality, I mean, I don't know, maybe it is YouTube, or, but to me, the audio quality struck me as an intentional sort of stylistic choice to get that sort of gritty bluesy feeling and it kind of reminded me of like an old Robert Johnson record like back in the 30s um, and I think that what would help me I did watch the video a couple of times um, and it didn't particularly do anything for me uh, but I thought the song was good I think what would help me with this is to see some of his live videos if there are some of those out there and um, yeah, just to get some more exposure because I thought it was good it just didn't um, hook me uh, as much as as some other artists might. Yeah, because I mean, the impression I got is that it like basically like uh, he you know figuratively came down off the stage and kicked your ass, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that you have to experience to appreciate, I guess, to yeah. really appreciate. Right. Uh, but I, I know he just recently was in a studio recording. So hopefully this means we'll get something physical soon. Well, we might have to do like a Mr. Unloved Revisited episode or something then once, <laughs> you know, when slash if that the record does come out, you know. Yeah. I'm up for it if you guys are. Yeah. I, totally. I, I, think, I think both of us probably are because I think that's kind of what it kind of sounded like. Both of us were kind of like. Yeah, from this one shitty YouTube video, it sounds okay. <laughs> yeah, if you want shitty YouTube videos, be glad I didn't pick uh, EDO, another Philly band. They didn't. They didn't play. I'm, I'll probably pick them later, but uh, they actually have albums too. But yeah, if you're just going by shitty YouTube videos, uh, we're talking. Uh, they've got a music video up there, which basically screams, "Hey." I just got a video toaster. <laughs> that's that's never the 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 aesthetic you want to go to. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, it's whether or not you're like a, a little band or, or a big band like the residents. <laughs> video toasters are awesome, but but use them sparingly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So, wow, that, that's been about an hour just talking about the picks. About uh, three quarters of that just on the Flaming Lips, I think. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Yes. And, and another, uh, yeah, three quarters of that on the Flaming Lips, about 20 minutes on... Uh, on what? And then, like, this, like, five-minute dismissal of your guy, <laughs> which is like, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Oh, that's boy. okay. That's okay. The show is the show is not about me or Mister Unloved. <laughs> Who is I guess I guess he lives unloved? up to his name. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We'll be here all week. Yes. Try the veal. <laughs> so uh, what we are gonna what we're gonna talk about for an actual topic if we have time is. Um, well, I've kind of got a. I mentioned last week after the show, I've kind of got a, a bug up my rear about uh, remasters and special editions and deluxe editions and re-releases of albums. And you, you folks seemed amenable to talking about that. That, that. That's all I compiled my show notes on. So if, mm-hmm. if you want to talk about something else, I'm kind of in trouble. <laughs> nope, sounds good to me. Hmm. We didn't like your pick, and we don't like your topic either. <laughs> You're out of the herd. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about kitties now. <laughs> I like kitties. <laughs> Fresh on kitties. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your bug here, Rich? Um, well, I'm a lot. There's, there's two problems with a lot of, a lot of old albums are being re-released again. Um, and I, there's, I have two big prop, two different problems or actually two and a half uh the first problem i have is that i don't like buying stuff over again if i can help it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, definitely so if i already bought something and they're putting out a special edition of remaster or this and that uh adding this adding that i don't want to have to go out and buy it again unless it's really compelling uh laurie anderson um a couple years back, re-released her first album, Big Science. Right, not like it was announced. I think literally three months after I bought the original CD of Big Science. <laughs> <laughs> but I was willing to let this one, let that one go, because it was adding on uh, this B side that I really wanted to hear. Uh, it was going to be. Um, it had the it would have the music video for O Superman. It would have. And it would be really cleaned up, and it was, I figured it would be worth buying, and it was. The remaster really helped. Um, but again, if it's just, there's, I mean, how definitive is definitive? And there's, um, you can, so, so many artists keep re-releasing and re-releasing and re-releasing and re-releasing stuff. Pink Floyd. Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's, and sometimes, and it's, uh, I'm also a completionist, which is a show in itself, but if I'm really love an artist, not only do I want the albums, I want B-sides. I want live, al- I want the live albums that they put out. Uh, I, I especially want B-sides. I yes. want all the non-album tracks that I can get my grubby little hands on, and I'm willing to pay for it. Which brings me to the other problem I have with these definitive remastered special edition stuff. And then there's a couple of bands in gen- that I, in particular I really want to yell at 
because I don't know who's vetting these track lists, but it's just driving me batty. Um, the remaster that really drove me up the wall, the, the special edition that really drove me up the wall is uh, Pinkerton by Weezer. Mm-hmm. Great record, by the way. Like the album, I mean. Yeah. No, it's, it's a brilliant record. It's the last great record Weezer ever did. Yes, I'm one of those people. Hmm. I the album, like the green Pinkerton, album. fuck it. <laughs> I like the Green Album. Eh. Mm-hmm. Eh. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'll tell you you're wrong if you like anything after the Green Album. <laughs> yeah, it's... Like, about half of Maladroit's okay, and then it kind of... Kind of goes down from there. Like, I... I I keep getting the music, but a lot of times it's because it comes in free from work, which is, you know, mm-hmm. and I go like, oh, yeah, there's a few things on here that are kind of cool, but not enough to actually really, not as a record. Like, it's, they've become very much a singles band and kind of a mediocre singles band at that. Yeah. I think the last good single they put out, in my opinion, was Keep Fishing. And it's got a music video with the Muppets. Come yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one's awesome. <laughs> okay. But, um... I don't know what your opinion on Pinkerton is, Andrew. Um, I'm not a huge Weezer? Weezer connoisseur. Um, Buddy Holly is a good song. <laughs> well, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, Matt, I'm sure you know. Um, Pinkerton is the record that really shouldn't have been because the original plan uh, for their second album was Songs from the Black Hole, which was to be a concept album about... Let me actually look up the storyline on this one. This is why I have my show notes, Sandy. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it's uh, three uh, three people, uh, two men. I think it's not three. Uh, no, four guys, two guys and a girl, two guys and two girls. Uh, no, sorry, eh, whatever. Okay, but it's basically a concept album about people traveling through space and falling in love with each other on a spaceship and it's it it sounds stupid when you talk when you say it like that but i'll have a link into the wikipedia article on the album the unreleased album uh which ha- explains this all in detail and it's it sounds much more compelling yeah and i think uh, a lot of that- um a lot of concept albums kind of sound stupid when you say them I mean, like, you know, Tommy, it's about a guy who's, like, plays pinball really good, and he's the messiah. (laughs) But he's also deaf, dumb, and blind. Or is he? Yeah, until he's not. (laughs) (laughs) Or, um, yeah. Then again, some concept albums sound stupid, and they really are stupid. The Six Wives of Henry VIII, on ice. (laughs) Thank you, Rick Wakeman. Okay. (laughs) Wait, that one was real? (laughs) Well, the album wasn't called The Six Wives of Henry VIII on Ice, but he, yeah, he put out a concept album called The Six Wives of Henry VIII, and for concerts, he actually had figure skaters, which are on, on ice, while he performed. Oh, Rick Wakeman, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's Rick Wakeman. Why are you surprised? I know, but still. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so when the Pinkerton re-release was announced... Everyone was like, oh, God, we're going to finally get to hear some stuff from Songs in the Black Hole. And we we did. But um, it's a two-disc set. And the entire... uh, Some of the... There's a... There's 
there's some, you know, some of the songs from Songs of the Black Hole were put out as B-sides. There's a couple songs that were unreleased until this, but the vast majority of the bonus tracks are live cuts and some alternate versions. But the live cuts, just, I want to go... The, the words just are not coming because there are... Let's see here. One, two, three versions, three live versions of The Good Life. Three live versions of uh, Pink Triangle. Two live, three live versions of El Scorcho. And they all sound almost exactly the same. Now, if you want to just... They're all from different versions, from different recordings, including... Uh, you know, three from the, delete, the defunct alternative rock station Philadelphia Y100. But again, do we need three almost identical live versions of these? That's nine songs, nine tracks that you could have brought down to three and nobody would terribly, would terribly miss them. And there's uh, 40 seconds devoted to piano doodling that was supposed to be used in Across the Sea and some, it's just it's not compelling. Uh, I feel it feels like it's I'm I'm it, you put all this crap on there. You're wasting the space that could have been used to put out more cool stuff. Yeah, and isn't too like am, am I misremembering or is the the first disc just the Pinkerton album? Uh, no, the the first disc has the well has just the has the album and uh, another ten bonus tracks, including a, a a minute and a half long interview. Oh, okay, because I, I remember there's, like, sometimes they'll do that where, because I know Pinkerton's actually kind of short, like, as an album. Yeah. And so I couldn't remember if that was one of the, the offenders where they'll do, like, here's a two-disc set. Like, the like the second disc will be 45 minutes long, and the first disc is the original album, which was 30. <laughs> I, I actually don't have a problem with that. Um, which kind of leads me to uh, Elvis Costello. They did uh, reissues, which is another thing of driving me nuts. Um, a couple, a few years back, Rhino Records started re-releasing all of Elvis Costello's stuff on as a double-disc set. Uh, the first disc was all of the album, maybe with like one bonus track, uh, which is just to get the U.S. versions and the American versions in sync. I mean, U.S. version, American version. The U.K. and the American versions of the albums in sync. Don't get me started about international versions with different track lists, please. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Poly 6. Um, uh-huh. and the second disc was all demos and live cuts and b-sides and just densely packed awesome stuff and I'm okay with that because sometimes I just want to, I don't want to listen to the bonus tracks all the time I just want to put on the album fine oh I, I can see that but I think for me it's where um, when you get like the, the split across the two where they would both easily fit on one record yeah I, I can one see CD. that too yeah <laughs> It's I, I'm picking that up from my mom, but um, right. But yeah, it's like it, it's annoying when it's like here's an here's a, a special deluxe version which is thirty dollars. It's two two CDs that's all together are barely an hour. Yeah, that if it, when it's like that, I can totally see uh, getting pissy about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, with the Elvis stuff, I mean, I can I can see it because I mean the the thing is is the second disc on those Rhino issues is like pretty much like 70 minutes of, of bonus stuff, almost. Right. But uh, now they're being re-released again on Hippo Records. 
with nothing, right? Uh, no. Well, well, they're doing like some with nothing and some deluxe editions, but the track lists are different. Uh, I got my show notes comparisons between uh, the Rhino version of this year's model and the Hippo edition of this year's model. And what Hippo is doing is they're putting a bunch of B-signs and demos and stuff on the first disc, and the second disc is being devoted to just a live show. Which, eh, I mean, I like live albums, but I don't know if I need a live album for every tour Elvis Costello ever did. You know, for every year. And I'd rather have all those neat demo versions and all those neat B-sides and everything. And I think it's it's annoying because now if I go out and buy this again, I'm going to have stuff that's on the Rhino version that's not on the Hippo version and stuff on the Hippo version that's not on the Rhino version, mostly the live stuff. How am I supposed to keep up with this? Mm-hmm. And then plus you have, you know, you know, two or three different copies of this year's model at all. If, if you're like me and also got the Ryko versions, you know, I, I, I didn't get the Ryko versions. Ah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you end up getting a lot of the same stuff, like 50 times. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, who I should have complained about for constantly re-releasing stuff is, uh, the, the Zappa estate, but I'm going to hold off on that and let you, and let you guys talk a little too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think for me, like my, my big artist is Bowie, as I kind of alluded to there. Um, okay, because it's like uh, back in the day, like uh, when CDs were were new, and you know, days of old when nights were bold. Um, <laughs> like RCA put out a um, the Bowie records, and they, if I recall, the those ones were kind of you know basically kind of the, the shitty type of masters, like the um, kind of like the first issue of the Beatles records, where it was like basically like we're we're going to take this incredibly important artist and half ass it. <laughs> Then Ry- yeah. then Ryko got the rights, and they did basically what Ryko does, which is be awesome. And, mm-hmm. you know, remastered the thing and then put on a lot of bonus tracks. And then what happened is the Ryko ones fell out of print, and EMI got the rights, and they re- did another remaster, but they cut all of the bonus tracks, so you just have the album. And then there's, like, a few that have come out in deluxe versions, like the, um, the self-titled one with Space Oddity, um, uh... Like Ziggy, of course, uh, Aladdin mm-hmm. Sane. And what happened is basically they got up, you know, to Station to Station, which is like a really cool set, by the way. I mean, I like it's, you know, the, the, there's a normal version of it. And then there's like a huge box set, which has um, three different mixes of the album, a thing of, of bonus tracks, and then like another two disc live record. You know, so it's, it's really awesome. But so I was really excited for the next, uh, Bowie re-release because that, that we're getting up to the Eno era, the the Berlin records. And as it turns out, it's the 40th anniversary of Ziggy. So they're doing yet another re-release of Ziggy where it's like, and this one apparently has a DVD on it. And I'm just sort of like, I I, I think there's probably some new exclusive tracks because that's how they roll. Um, but it's like, damn it, like how many fucking times does one person need to buy fucking Ziggy Stardust? It's a great record, yes, but enough is enough, people. Like, the the 30th anniversary edition was just fine. (laughs) 
It's, yeah, th- I've got the 30th anniversary version of Ziggy, and... It's awesome, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah! <laughs> it's got everything you need. It's got everything you need. It's Yeah, they, they didn't, like, drop the ball on that one. It's, like, a really cool, cool record. It's, you know, great liner notes, great bonus tracks, great remaster... It's fucking done. <laughs> yeah, actually, my favorite of the, uh, the the anniversary releases was Diamond Dogs. M- mine too, but but I mean, it's like again, it's like you know, even if they were doing it with Diamond Dogs again, you know, we've already got like that'd be like the I think like fifth or sixth re-release on CD, each with different fucking tracks, and it's like just release the albums you haven't redone yet or put them up with. You know, like keep on going and like just do the deluxe editions. You know, because I mean, honestly, I I don't know if you saw like, you know, uh, the the shitty version of Ziggy and then the thirtieth anniversary of Ziggy. I don't know anyone who would go for the shitty version. You know, just you know, just get the do do the deluxe editions only, and don't keep re fucking releasing them because <laughs> i'm sorry i'm i'm all head up on this issue because it's it's maddening and it's like get to the eno records because <laughs> they still haven't done those yet in like awesome versions it's like come on eno <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd kill for a lovely remastered version of of low and lodger and and, and heroes i mean heroes doesn't sound doesn't sound bad in its current version but I know, but I mean, it wouldn't be great to have all the B sides and all all the weird demos and whatnot. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just ah, it's so maddening. It's like we don't need to start over from Ziggy again because by the time you actually, you know, get up to station to station again, it'll be the fiftieth anniversary, <laughs> and you'll start again. And the weird thing too is they keep ignoring, like, like Hunky Dory is probably my favorite Bowie record, and there is no deluxe version of that. Yes, there is. There is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it might have been, I don't know if it's Ryko, but it's got a bunch well, of... Well, no, uh, I know, but I mean, like, there was, like, the Ryko version, but, like, there's no EMI deluxe version. Oh. It's just the the one that's just the remastered album, which is, again, a, a good remaster, but, I mean, it, again, it'd be really cool to have all the bonus stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's, like, how many different demos have, you know, can be left of the Ziggy era, you know? <laughs> It's just uh, we've, we we found a tape of, of David uh, at three in the morning on acoustic guitar strumming what might have been the um, what might have evolved into the uh, the, the chords in um, in Star. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just sort of maddening, and I just get so sick of it. And I guess this is why God gave us what CD because yeah. you know it's like I I you know. I, I have no problem in, you know, if I have an album and they re-release it for a, another scam issue like these, which I, I think they are. They're, they're, they're scams on, like, the five people left who still buy records. And, you know, I just say, you know, I end up just saying, like, unless there's something really, really cool on this, you know, upcoming Ziggy 40th anniversary edition, which I don't think there is, you know, I'm just going to go to what CD, say, fuck it, and, and download the, the three or four tracks that I don't have. And call it a day because it's getting ridiculous and it's just like, yeah, it's it it it's stupid. If you're gonna scam me, I'm gonna scam you right back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I apparently have opinions today. 
I don't really have a problem with uh, <laughs> most of this stuff. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, I just haven't. I don't usually find myself encountering these sort of frustrating situations where artists, where I have to choose, you know, which edition or do I want to keep spending money on buying the same record. Um, when it comes to special editions, I'm usually, depending on how much I care about the artist, I'm probably quite likely to spring for a special edition, especially if it includes bonus tracks. Um, I love bonus tracks. One of the uh, the Unfreeze McGee album, Death by Stereo, that we listened to a couple of shows ago, uh, the last three tracks on that album were bonus tracks. And um, I think they're, you know, they're all great. And I love uh, bonus discs. Um, Dave Matthews Band especially tends to put out a lot of bonus discs with their album. And, um, you know, they're very nice little supplemental uh, little EPs that I tend to enjoy. I think when it comes to remasters, that can be a little bit trickier because to some degree you do want to preserve the fidelity of the original recording. But some records can also, I think, could benefit from a remaster. One that comes to mind is uh, Primus's Sailing the Seas of Cheese. And I use Primus as an example for everything, but um, man, so it's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, that's I use Devo for an example for everything, so that's yeah. more than fair. Yeah, <laughs> but um, they released they re-released Frizzle Fry, um, which was came out originally in 1990, and they have yet to remaster Sailing the Seas of Cheese, and you know you can see the argument both ways because on one side you do want to preserve that. 1991 sound uh, and sonic quality, but to me, Sailing the Seas of Cheese has also had a very quiet mix to it, and I've always had to seemingly turn the volume up in my car when I really wanted to rock out to it, so I would probably enjoy a remaster. Um, but I don't know. I don't really have much to uh, to say about these things. I don't encounter the, uh, the same frustrations that you guys have. Um, one thing that does really annoy me, though, is when um, an album is listed as being released in the year of its re-release. Mm. So like if I know that Rich oh. you and I are on path and when you go to share an album on path and you um go to share your music and a lot of times it'll put the re-release date as the date the album came out which is totally inaccurate. Uh, don't do that. Don't I know, do it's, that. It's so frustrating. Mm. Like this album did not come out in 2002. It came out in 1990. So but I don't know. Yeah, that drives yeah. me nuts too, especially when it'll be like something like really old. It's like, you know, oh yeah, yeah, please, please me totally came out in 2009. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And for what it's worth, oh, I, the Beatles remasters sound gorgeous. Oh God, yes. Uh, the only problem with them is that it took them that long to actually figure out that maybe the Beatles should be remastered. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, qu- question for, us hardcore, for the hardcore Beatles nerds, which could be both of you. Mono or stereo? I think I have the stereo. I yeah, I've got I I bought the stereo box and then I downloaded the mono box. Yeah, I I I I have I I keep in my MP3 collection the mono version so everything up to everything up to the white album. I have the white album in mono and stereo though. I'm probably actually going to get rid of the mono white album because the mono white album is not as compelling. Yeah, by by the time of white they kind of ended up Knowing, you know, knowing more about the stereo or stereo process and how to mix for stereo, because mm. I I found that like with the Beatles stereo records, um, like the like Revolver or uh, Rubber Soul, 
you really can't listen to them on headphones because they're so weirdly mixed. It like it takes you have the vocals on one side, and you got the, the 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 music on the other side, right? Yeah, or or the bass in one side, which you never you're never supposed to do because it actually makes people kind of ill. I mean, literally, it actually you know it's and yeah, they they always tell you that like mixing mixing school, you know, is is <laughs> you know audio production classes and stuff. It's like never put the bass in one ear because it makes the listener kind of seasick. And this is the most powerful instrument. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, it's like, it's the grounding one, you know? So if you, you're, you're listening to the side, it's kind of, you know. Yeah. But again, too, it's, I mean, it's not something that I'm like, you know, like, oh man, George Martin sucks because of that. It's like, you know, they were learning and figuring it out at the time. I mean, it's, you know, so you have that, but I mean, it's all, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like, it's like good, I guess, you know? Yeah. So I, I appreciate that having, you know, the mono versions as well as the stereo ones. Well, I, yeah. I'm going to, I am that, I am that guy uh, for mono versions of certain records. Mm-hmm. I really prefer the mono version of Sgt. Pepper mm-hmm. to the stereo version. At the very least, just because of She's Leaving Home, which on the stereo version is like a, a half a, something is, is played back slower. Mm. And it's a, it's not, it's a, it's not supposed, it, it's not supposed to be a sad song. Yeah. The mono version's played at the right speed, and that small change is enough to make it sound so much happier. Really? Which it is. She's leaving home for a good reason. She's going to have some fun. She's getting away from the suppressive home atmosphere. We're supposed to feel good for her. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a coming-of-age story. I have opinions, too. <laughs> and I need to spend another... some time with the monos, because I, I don't think I've... I probably have heard them in passing, but I need to give them a, an active listen. Well, it, and I don't think, think it's, there's much of a difference for like the earliest version uh, records. I think it's like Revolver and on that it really were Rubber Soul and all. I can never remember which came out first. Revol- uh, Rubber, Rubber Soul came out first. Rubber yeah. Soul did, yeah. Yeah. They both start with R. I, I get them screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's an, so you know, from that point on, when they're actually starting to experiment with sound, that's when, you really, that's when the mono versus stereo comes into play. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, there's another uh, another record I just infinitely prefer the mono version of is uh, Pipe at the Gates of Dawn by Pink Floyd. Hey, we're back to Pink Floyd again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love Piper, and I remember the first time I heard the mono version, it just, it floored me. And I don't, I don't have, I can't explain it entirely but something it's just the way the mono versions mixed it's both denser and more powerful it, it's 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 so densely layered uh the mono mix of the album that it feels more like a punch in the gut in a good way i think that's one of my favorite metaphors <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just the stereo version of piper is so spaced is so wide open and spacey that you can get that it's you're kind of looking for landmarks, mm-hmm. you know, but with the mono version, it's all there, and there's some. It just it just feels better, and they they recently did a 40th anniversary re-release of the Piper at the Gates of Dawn, and I'll have a link to the track list there in the show notes, which is really 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 good. It has the mono version and the stereo version, and there's a special version with a third disc of 
uh, remastered singles from the early Pink Floyd, the first three singles they did, Arnold Lane, See Emily Play, uh, and Pink, uh, Apples and Oranges. And there's some alternate cuts of Interstellar Overdrive, and uh, what makes it really worth getting is an alternate version of a song called Matilda Mother with the original lyrics, mm. um, which were cribbed from... Oh, i got to look this up. Uh, it would help if I spelled that right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, originally uh, Sid Barrett wrote it around verses from Cautionary Tales by Hilaire Belloc. Um, you know, it's, um, which the estate, when they were about to put the record, when they were putting out the record originally, the estate of, um, of Hilaire Belloc said, what? You can't do that. So he had to go back and quickly rewrite it. And now I have the, now we have the original version. And that's very compelling. It's not every early Pink Floyd cut I would like to have. Uh, but then again, that's kind of what bootlegs are for. Mm-hmm. But it's cool that it's there. It's enough that I'm not going to freak out and say, why didn't you include this? This is important. No. I've got other records to yell about for that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think on the on the Stereo Romano for me thing, uh, too, it's also Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. You know, I've yet to hear the mono version of Pet Sounds. I gotta get on that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot better. the The CD actually has both versions on it, and I think it's mono first then stereo. I can't I can't remember. It's, uh, but I, I think partly too is that um, Brian Wilson was is deaf in one ear, so he oh. can't hear stereo. So like he had nothing to do with the stereo version. I mean, I guess other than you know making the record in the first place and all, but <laughs> in in terms, I mean, considering how uh control oriented he was in the studio it seems to me that the mono would be the definitive version and it honestly it is i mean like the the stereo version just it it kind of suffers again from that kind of same thing as you know the the early beals records from that era of not really knowing what the hell to do with stereo yet and there's some like kind of weird choices and it just it just doesn't sound, I guess, right to me. Where the the mono version is an absolute masterpiece. I mean, it's just an amazing record, and the stereo record is is also an amazing masterpiece, but less so. It's just sort of like, oh, okay. That's kind of weird that that's over there, but sure, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'll do. I, I've, it's been on my list of of stuff to check out. I'm going to finally get around to that now. Yeah, I mean, it's a gorgeous record. You, you, you totally need it. <laughs> yeah. Um, if it's okay with Andrew, because I know we—I feel like we're leaving you out. No. But can I can I yell? Can I gripe with Matt about say, the uh, the Frank Zappa re-releases that have been going on lately? Please gripe about them. <laughs> I oh, mean, thank Andrew, you. you're you're a, are uh, are you a Zappa fan too, or are you? I am a Zappa fan. I am not uh, as well versed as you guys probably are. I'm a big apostrophe fan. Oh, okay. And uh, a few oh. other assorted tracks and uh, and albums, but uh, probably not as extensive as you guys are. Okay. Okay. Oh, um, lately, uh, these the Zappa Family Trust has been well. The Zappa Family Trust has been doing a lot of things. Which is um, which is a, definitely a change for the past decade. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the things they've been doing are really good. Some of the things they're doing make me want to go find Gail and 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 scream at her. 
I'm gonna let's just skip like the archive. I'm gonna we're not gonna talk about all the archived archive releases that have been coming out. Like the the the, the stuff that's unreleased, like the uh, like transfusion and uh, feeding the feeding the monkeys at La Maisonette, that kind of stuff. You mean? Yeah. Okay. Um, I just just as a sidebar though. I, please just release the goddamn Zappa conducting for race album. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough of that. Um, lately, they've been putting out. Um, well, it started with uh, the Mofo Project Object. Yes. Which, um, yeah, I have the deluxe version of that. Same, um, same here. The thing that, mm-hmm. like, well, we'll get into that in a little in a little bit once we explain what Mofo is. Yeah, and what it is is. Um, the subtitle, it's The Making of Freak Out, which is the first Mothers of Invention album. Oh, God. Why is this page not loading? <laughs> um, essential album, and it's... There's two versions of the MoFo Project Object. There's the deluxe four-disc album, which is uh, comes in this like really kind of cool, puffy box. And then there's the two-disc version, which is sort of a distilled best of. And the first disc, I think, on both is the mono... Or the... Uh, original vinyl mix of Freakout because uh, for CD Zappa remixed everything. Which, you know, as much as I love Frank, I wish he didn't do that. I know. <laughs> Sometimes uh, it, it works out okay. Like, I mean, like, the the original CD mix of Freakout isn't that bad. No, I mean, it, it's I, I prefer the, the original vinyl mix. But yeah, it, it didn't start to get banned until a little later. Yeah, Which when we talk gonna... about lumpy money. <laughs> Oy. Oh, actually, I was th- leaning towards Greasy Love Song, uh, towards Greasy oh. Love Songs, Ruben and the Jets for that. But oh yeah, no, you make a point with lumpy money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, and that's there's a lot, a lot of bonus material. Not all of it's really compelling, but it's it's there. I'm, I'm just and, gonna, and a lot of it's interesting. I think from like not in a gonna listen to all the time standpoint, but as a as a documentary kind of thing. I think it's sort of like, mm-hmm. you can kind of go like, you listen to it once and you go like, wow, that's actually really enlightening and you don't listen to it again, but I think it's still worth having. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily need the, uh, God, how long, uh, how many minutes of inter- the, the half and 35 minutes of interview talk uh, of interviews though. Yeah. That's a little bit of padding, but yeah. And I think um, there's a, a little bit too much of the, uh, the fourth side of freak out the, uh, Help, I'm a rock, Return of the Son of Monster Magnet stuff. Where it's, but then again, that's such a dense uh, cut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say the same thing about uh, the Smile Sessions that just came out for the Beach Boys. There's a lot of... And the, I only have... the I, I don't have the Mega Ultra Super Deluxe version of that. Yeah, I, I do. I, I That was the one that I reviewed for Kitty Sneezes, actually, was the, right. the, the big honkin' box. Yeah, but I know there's a lot on that big honkin' box of stuff that went into, I think, Good Vibrations? Yeah, I think there's, like, a disc of... Uh, or, no, it's... Uh, um, there's a disc of Heroes and Villains. Okay. That's that's excessive. <laughs> well, again, I I, I, um, I think that it's... It's enlightening, but, but again, not something that you're necessarily going to listen to all the time. Like, that was one that I, I really aggressively rated in, in my iTunes of stuff that I want to, you know, come up more... Because there's a lot of, like, lost tracks and... You know, alternate versions, but then there's also like work parts, which are enlightening but not terribly interesting. You know, to listen to all the time. Right. Um, yeah, let's talk about lumpy money real quick. Oh, one one thing that pissed me off though with Mofo. 
There's oh. a couple of exclusive tracks on the two CD version. Right. I forgot about that. Which honestly has someone who ponied up the, what was it, like $100 practically for the, the fancy mm-hmm. one. Fuck you, Gail. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Lumpy Money is, on the one hand, we get the original orchestral version of Lumpy Gravy. Which is awesome. I think that's worth the price of admission right there. Then, I don't know, the, the, the version of We're Only In For The Money is, isn't is too terribly different than the CD version on the... Oh, also, You're not talking about Frame- the, the 85 remix, are you? I wasn't getting to that yet. Okay, good, because that thing is an abortion. <laughs> um, both both 85 remixes, actually. Yeah, um, but, but money more so. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I, it's annoying that they crammed Lumpy Gravy and We're Only It For The Money on the same disc. Honestly, um, that, one, that one doesn't bother me, just because, I mean, you do have the kind of, you know... Is this, you know, phase one of Lumpy Gravy? Is this phase two of we're only in it for the money, you know, on the sleeve? Yeah. So that one didn't yeah. bother me that much. Yeah. I mean, my own. This is one of those things. That's what the 85 remix. I don't want to spend too much time talking about, but. It's terrible. <laughs> it shouldn't it shouldn't have been released. It, it shouldn't have been made. It's it's aggressively bad. <laughs> it shouldn't have been released is all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, now, I want to talk about. Greasy love song slash um, uh, cruising with Ruben and the Jets. Right. There's just another. This one thing that's. I don't understand why they couldn't just say, "Oh, this is just a special original version of Ruben and the Jets." Why did they have to change the title and the cover art? Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I mean, I'm wondering if it's like some sort of legal thing, like because I know that that's why the the CD mixes are not on those. Is that I think like Ryko still owns those CD mixes that. Frank Zappa made. Um, and I mean, again, too, it would be, you know, kind of filling up space that could go to other things. Well, so, let them have it. I'd say let that remix of uh, Cruising with Ruben and the Jets go out of print and give us the original version because th- th- those re-recorded bass parts and drum parts are so... They don't fit at all. Yeah. Like, that's just kind of the thing. It's because, I mean, I love, like... um like Cruising with Ruben and the Jets is honestly one of my favorite favorite uh, Mother's albums. I really like that one a lot. And, you know, I basically grew up with the CD edition because the original vinyl is insanely expensive and it's not one that my dad already had. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, you know, but it was it's really weird because like for those who don't know, uh, Ruben and the Jets is this it's the dead on doo-wop record that the Mothers did. And it's like just this like really brilliant you know, all original, you know, songs, pastiche of 50s doo-wop, which Frank loved. And um, in, I think it was 85 again, like, uh, he claims that it was because the bass and drum tracks were damaged on the tapes. No one knows for sure whether or not that's true. So he erased the those tracks and had them re-recorded by his um, then-current band. And the thing is, is that they, they played in that style which does not mesh so you have like there's a lot of like slap bass on it so you basically have you know this this 50s doo-wop album that has less claypool on it <laughs> which mm-hmm. you know is you know again two great tastes but they don't really go together you know and so it's it's nice that we have greasy love songs which has the original bass and drums which actually you know shockingly 
fit the rest of the album. <laughs> I don't know what the next thing they're re-releasing is. I'm yeah. kind of hoping it's a, it's a absolutely free. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed that they seem to skip absolutely free. So I'm hoping that they, they circle back for that one, because that is, like, my favorite Mother's album. Yeah, that's actually the first one I ever checked out uh, by the Mother's, and I'd love to get here just the, the, the component tracks for, like, uh, Brown Shoes Don't Make It or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I just... But again... Yeah. Hmm. Gail, though, if you're listening, Rage and the Fury... Yes, yes. You're not listening. <laughs> uh, no, but, but yeah. I mean, like, like the, some of the stuff that they have been releasing, like, you know, Feeding La Monkeys has been okay. I mean, I'm not as into the Synclavier stuff as Frank was. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I really like Jazz from Hell, but beyond that, like, I'm, I'm basically kind of good, you know? But. <laughs> uh- if you're curious for some interesting Zappa Sinclavier stuff, and then maybe we should change the subject a little bit, but uh, uh, there's a bootleg circulating that I thought was actually going to be on Feeding the Monkeys at Amazon, but it's not, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called uh, Resolver and Brutality. Okay. Uh, and it's sort of, it's kind of the missing link between uh, Jazz from Hell and Civilization Phase 3. Mm, okay. Which... I'll be honest, I, I've, I've, I've only made it all the way through Civilization Phase 3 once. <laughs> yeah, honestly, same here. It's I kind of appreciate what he was doing, but I... I it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's way, way, way too long. It's the hardest... It's one of the hardest albums I've ever ha- I have to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, I should, we should top, table this for another time, but talk about just albums that we like but are just so damn hard to get into. Yeah. Because I've, I've got a story about a Perugu album. Mm. That. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably talk about yeah. the pod from Ween, which Ween R.I.P., sadly. Mm. Yeah, I heard about that. I, I still haven't actually gotten a chance to get into them either, so... Same here. Oh, wow, okay. Ween are amazing. Maybe... Uh, maybe a pick, maybe one of, maybe a ween could be a pick ween album could be a pick for next week perhaps 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 uh, not yes who knows I have no idea what I'm picking <laughs> uh. okay yeah um one thing I do want to we we kind of touched on this real quick that's just the last thing I want to talk about in this long very angry rant of ours <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is, this is probably the bonus, angriest episode we've had, honestly. <laughs> yeah, bonus tracks in general, um, and selecting the right proper bonus tracks. I, I just got a kind of a gripe on this with the Devo remasters that recently came out. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I was really, I'm okay with what they put out um, with the well, the new the new, the the remasters of Freedom of Choice and Are We Not Men sound amazing. Yes, definitely. They're they're worth getting for that. Yeah, especially for Freedom of Choice because the original the CD version of Freedom of Choice sounded like shit. Oh yeah, it was like both of them awful, but um, Freedom of Choice got definitely got the brunt of of the shit stick. Yeah, I, whenever I actually would uh, when I listened to it, I, I in iTunes I would I put it, gave it a custom EQ setting to boost up the low end. Yeah, it's and it made so it tinny. tolerable. But yeah, I'm never going back. <laughs> yes, yes. So the recent reissues, though, 
I don't know. Um, for me, the canonical versions with bonus tracks were the Infinite Zero releases of the albums. Which yes. they didn't do Are We Not Men and Freedom of Choice, which, sadly. Sadly, yes. But they had era-appropriate B-sides, some unreleased, at least... I think at least Ono oh Devo had the unreleased cuts, but then again, the Ono oh Devo version also had the Here to Go remixes, which was kind of odd. Because <laughs> that's from Shout. Yeah. Whatever. In fact, actually, in my great thing about MP3s is what I've done is I've taken all the Shout bonus tracks and slapped them on and just reassigned them to the Shout album. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, my my custom version of Shout has. Both easy list is growing pain. The B side growing pains. The two here to go remixes and both easy listening versions of the title cut. Cool. I think uh, I just Andrew thinks I might have just accidentally had aphasia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Purple monkey dishwasher lemonade pie. <laughs> okay. The the recent Wonder Brothers re- releases. Well, first of all. I was really hoping for remastered versions of the various single cuts, like anything off the B Stiff EP. Um, like some and, of and the Boogie Boy Records era stuff. Yeah. And it's such a tease because the, the I have the Devo Lux edition of Army Not Men and Freedom of Choice. Mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> and you, know, you look at the track list and it says Social Fools and Sloppy. And both of those are already released, sort of. I mean, Social Fools is not the B-side version of Social Fools. It's the original demo from 74. Yeah, and a lot of the other bonus tracks were cannibalized from the wonderful set um, uh, Recombo Reco- DNA. Right. But they put, for uh, for new traditionalists, they put on demos from Ono, oh It's Devo, and they don't have Working in the Coal Mine. Yeah, I like. I, I never actually bothered with the... Um, uh, N- the Nutra and uh, was it Nutra and Ono at the same time or Nutra and Duty Now? Duty Now. I actually no. I got the Duty Now re-release. I just I don't. I just took off the 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 Devo live version of Be Stiff and, and I just took off the the Recombo Be Stiff and the Secret Agent Man from Devo Live, which has no presence on there. <laughs> because but it's good to have a nice cleaned up for because that's the only one they got mostly right because it's got Penetration in the Centerfold and Sue Balls. Mm. But both of those are on, were on the infinite, infinite Zero releases, so... Yeah, but I think I, I like the sound of the new version a little better. Oh, okay, fair enough. So, at the... Um, I just... I want to know who vets these track lists. Basically, this you just hire us, because we're the obsessives, right? I know, I know. It's like, you know, put Pilmer in charge. Uh, Michael Pilmer, by the way, is the fellow that Devo actually hired because... He had a bigger Devo collection than Devo themselves did. <laughs> and also one of the nicest people in the world. Yes, yes. Real real, real good guy. If you're listening to this, Michael, hi. <laughs> and that's, and he's, he's, like, he's more likely to listen to it than Gil Zappa. Definitely, yeah. It's, <laughs> we actually have a shot with him. Mm-hmm. So we've been blabbing. This is uh, almost a Syracuse-length episode. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. I think we've completely, like, abandoned Andrew, and we're sorry for that one. I am so sorry. That's okay. I was in there in the beginning, in the middle. <laughs> yeah, you and Matt had your nice, long conversation about Mike Watt. We did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't feel too bad, but I still feel a little bad. I'm sorry. Nah, nonsense. <laughs> All right. 
So it's always great talking to you guys. Yes. Uh, sorry to sorry to dominate the conversation. Next time next time we'll talk about something that we can all talk about, I think. Yes. Or we'll just like talk about like, you know, something that like only Andrew, you know, knows about. So <laughs> you know, the other ones of us will just be silent and we'll be like, Oh yeah, no, that, no, that's that's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a learning process, everyone. <laughs> so yeah, this time next week. I think that might work, and uh, hopefully we didn't, you know, alienate all five of our listeners with the long-extended uh, Zappa and Devo rants. <laughs> Actually, uh, I think we've got at least a dozen or two. Oh, wow. Well, we can talk about that off-air. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, we, we, we might have that, you know, maybe, you know, an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, people still listen to Hypercritical, even when it goes for two hours or so. Mm-hmm. And we're just as picky about music as John Syracuse is about technology, so. <laughs> True. Okay. Uh, do we want to plug anything? Besides, uh, uh, there's the Crush on Radio Twitter account at Crush on Radio, and the Crush on Radio website at crushonradio.com, and you can please review us and rate us in iTunes. Yeah. Um, we we I want to I we we love to know how much you love us. We're we're very insecure. <laughs> yeah, that's why we obsess so much on on records no one listens to. Yeah, and uh, andrewmarvin.net and at andrewmarvin on Twitter if you are so inclined. And uh, sandspoint.com. Oh, sorry. oh, go for it. Uh, yeah, sandspoint.com. S a n s p o i n t and dot com. And for me, my website, and I'm also Sandspoint on Twitter. And you know, I should also plug my Tumblr site, which is I actually went and bought a domain for it. Wantabreathmint.com. It's uh, a lot of cool stuff that Rich posts there. So, mm-hmm. and then uh, I'm KittySneezes.com. K-I-T-T-Y-S-N-E-E-Z-E-S. Um, and I'm also at KittySneezes on Twitter and at KittySneezes.tumblr.com where you can see a cute picture of a baby goat on a rock bleating. It's pretty adorable. I have a Tumblr too, andrewmarvin.tumblr.com, which consists mostly of things that I like in Instapaper and or assorted videos. And videos of Instapaper. And videos of Instapaper, precisely. (laughs) Hey, Marco, if you want to sponsor us. (laughs) Just saying. Great talking to you guys. Yeah, great talking to you guys. Thanks again. All right. Thanks again, and and both to uh, Andrew and whoever actually made it through the entire two-hour episode. Thanks for sticking with us. (laughs) We'll be better next week. (laughs) Probably. I can't. I can't promise that. (laughs) Well, we should. We should still say it anyway. Just you know to you know, you know, keep hopes high that we may dash them on pointy rocks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Bash this isn't sh- helping. We should we should <laughs> Bash go. Them against Cut it. the crag. Cut it. Okay. Bye bye.